Greetings, friends. It's Thursday, September 7th, and uh, Chapo is back again. Now, uh, for today's episode, I would like to begin by alluding to the fact that uh, previously on this program, I have joked that we should buy a gift basket and send it to the Ron DeSantis campaign for basically keeping our show stocked with his um, oafish, um, cretinous uh, campaign throughout the doldrums of this pre sort of semi-permanent election season. But I think the thing is about DeSantis is now that he is uh, locked in a dead heat with Vivek Ramswame, the, uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know, there, there may not be much Ron DeSantis juice left to squeeze. But before the juice is finally squozen, uh, I thought we would take a sort of a more holistic view of Ron DeSantis, the art of losing. And of course, to join us to document the history of Ron DeSantis as a both a, a cookie-cutter Republican candidate, but also a uniquely awful one. And to just discuss all things DeSantis, it's our friend Ettinger Mentum back again. Ettinger, welcome. Hey, everybody. It's good to be back. I want to begin with uh, a, a place you began, part three of your Ron DeSantis, The Art of Losing piece. Mm-hmm. And that is, it, it's sort of a moment that, for me, crystallizes the sort of um, on-paper DeSantis versus in-practice DeSantis. Yeah. And I want to talk about the launch the the much wanted launch of the DeSantis campaign on uh, Elon Musk's Twitter. You describe this as something of like on paper it could read like Stephen King's The Dead Zone, you know, like uh, yeah, right wing billionaire, uh, like sort of unites with arch conservative demagogue to sort of like supercharge a presidential run that very well mm-hmm. could lead to the end of the world. Yeah, the richest man on the planet and a guy who won a swing state by twenty points, like yeah. Just- Scary, terrifying. What the hell? He's like 40 <laughs> like, years old. The incumbent president's 80. Like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. He won so, Palm Beach County. You look, you look at the tail of the tape and you think like, okay, this, this is, this is a, this is a, this is going to be like a dominant political force in our time. But then like, honestly, like, I feel like we haven't even talked enough of, except for the week it happened about the Elon Musk, Ron DeSantis Twitter campaign launch. <laughs> All right. Sorry about that. We can. Are you there? Can you hear us? I think you broke. I'm right, here. I know. I think. I think you broke the internet there. We had over half a million people in one Twitter space, and it was growing by like fifty thousand a minute. So, uh, congrats on uh, on breaking the internet there. <laughs> well, I am running for president of the United States to lead our great American comeback. What a spectacular! I mean, like, have you ever seen? Has there been any political campaign that has shot itself in the head quicker? than the Ron DeSantis with the way he launched this campaign? Oh, I mean, like speaking historically, um, I don't know. I mean, there's like the Ted Kennedy, the famous moment where like they asked him how he like uh, why he was running for president at all. And he just like sat there like the Mitch McConnell thing for 20 seconds. That was a really infamous like kind of throwback. But like something like this, this like technologically bad. It's like you have to like go all the way back to when they invented like telegraphs to think of this. Like if like they accidentally like like when Henry Clay was announcing his campaign, he accidentally just said a bunch of slurs down to all the newspapers. That That's about the only comparison I can think of. It was really terrible. <laughs> uh, like, who, wait, uh, Felix, who's, who's like the uh, the tech guy who's like the DeSantis, Elon Musk groupie? Da- uh, David? David Sa- yeah, David Sachs, who awesome. recently, recently our friend Charlie found his Quora account, which is, without exaggeration, 95% are questions about potential plot holes in Harry Potter. Yeah. In the in the novels. David Sachs is, for people who don't know, he's the world's uh brokest 
guy who's like on paper worth 700 million, but he's one of those guys who could only make money in an environment with effectively negative interest rates. And the moment they go up, he starts, I mean, he went from 2020 to now. Now he sounds like a degrowth guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He sounds like the guy on your timeline who's like, don't have kids. There's yeah, going to be over. nothing. It's over. Yeah. Charlie has done fantastic work with David. I think that my favorite, like he has a whole series on, it's called Silicon Conservatives. I have his a newsletter, like uh, recommended on my thing, if you subscribe to me, so you can find it there. Uh, my favorite thing that he's found with that is um, the David Sachs, like all in podcast Reddit. Like there's a Reddit for like the podcast that he does and they all fucking hate him. They like yeah. his guts. <laughs> well, to be fair, that's the, the subreddit for every podcast. Yeah. Well, yeah, but like with the David Sachs all in podcast, it's like, Everyone who does the podcast with him is like kind of as repulsive as him. It's that Jason uh, calculus guy. Uh, the, <laughs> yeah. The uh, other stock guy, you know, like other shitheads. And you would think it would be the most pro David Sachs uh, place you could go on the Internet. And it probably is. Uh, but a lot of the posts are like, you know, we should kill David. <laughs> David's ruining the show. Yeah. I hate David on the poker episodes. Um, but 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 David David is like if um, Ron is in the Fuhrer bunker, he's kind of uh, Admiral Donitz. Yeah, he's one of those like uh, like those background <laughs> characters who like is. Uh, I think he'd be loyal. I don't think he'd be like a like Himmler. No, like, no, not at all. No. He's one no, of the ones he, that yeah, they didn't bother down. to execute yeah. at Nuremberg. They're like, yeah. you goofball, go out, go, go away, go on. Don't get <laughs> yeah, any more trouble. Mitchell would have killed it in the rat lines. He would have gotten out of there, but like he wouldn't have betrayed <laughs> them. Bill Mitchell would have been chilling like in Brazil, like for 50 years. And they would never would have caught him. And he would have been. Bill Mitchell would have been like, I actually think we're going to have a comeback with Martin Borman. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think Steiner's got this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, uh, Nice segue into DeSantis here. But, you know, I mean, I was just imagining uh, the DeSantis launch in the era of Telegraph where David Sachs mm -hmm. is like, we, we have moved the campaign event into my drawing room. Stop. It is the yeah. biggest <laughs> event in history. Stop. Yeah. yeah. They set like a settlement on fire somehow. <laughs> but uh, but Josh, um, what, like how does the, the, the Elon Musk like his his servile fealty to this dipshit Elon Musk to like basically have him hijack his, his, the most important announcement in his life. You talk like this. I was very struck by your description of Ron DeSantis as a guy who just wants the respect of other authoritarian dorks. And like, yes. that's, and that's what leads to his truly horrific instincts for some, yeah. something like turning your campaign launch over as like a, basically a beta test for video on Twitter which then tanks immediately. Exactly. This is, and it's fascinating throughout his career. You can track how like the authoritarian, like right wing dork power structure has changed through who he sucks up to. Cause I go like what I did with this, when I started out this series a couple months ago, I kind of like updated it like every couple of weeks. It was, I thought like, well, everybody knows about like, um, like how terrible this guy's been doing. He like, can't, he says weird shit. He can't make a normal face. Everybody hates him. They got focus groups like committing ritual suicides every time they like try to pull him. It's bad. But like, what? How did he get here in the first place? If this guy is such a loser, how did he win Florida by that many points? How did he become the guy for the entire Republican establishment? Like, how do you get to this thing where this like really shitty politician is like the last hope of the West in their mind? 
So I started off with like his um his first campaign and uh like when he ran in 2012 for um Congress and there's a really funny graphic I was able to find where it's like it's a picture of him in his military uniform. He was a lawyer for the Navy SEALs by the way. Uh <laughs> and he's been running on that as a veteran, but his endorsement list, this is in 2012, is former governor Jeb Bush, ambassador John Bolton, Club for Growth, Madison Project the like Citizens United, like the actual organization that was in the Supreme Court. So 10 years and he was a huge Paul Ryan guy, like during 2012, like he was like going in on him in for him on Twitter, like like saying like uh, how great he was, how he was so cool. He went out of his way to defend his tax stuff. So like in 10 years ago, he's trying to do the same thing. But it was all guys like John Bolton in that period. Part of it, like because the conservatives had to really figure out what was going on. But he just wanted all these guys to think he was cool. And you can go all the way back to his first action as a political figure. He wrote a book about Obama, not and the founding fathers. Not Dreams from him. our founding fathers. Yes, it was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Dreams from our founding fathers. I shit when I saw that. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, that was so. It's so Obama era conservative. It's perfect. It's like he could have been like he should have been calling him Barf Sacco Crumbo. He should have been talking about <laughs> death panels. It's it's pure <laughs> pure distilled Obama era conservatism. It's just awesome. And that was what he tried to do first, because he thought it could be like William F. Buckley in 2012, and that just didn't work. So he's just like, all right, I guess I'll just run for Congress. And John Bolton loved him so much. John Bolton was like doing fundraisers for him when nobody knew who he was. And he's betrayed him now. It's sad. Well, I mean, like uh the point you make is that, like, um, if you look at, like, before he even got into politics and, like, the, the, he has the resume, he has the nauseating resume of someone who is trying to, has wanted to be president his entire life. Uh-huh, and, yeah. like, and then, like, coming out of Yale, and one of the other hilarious things in your piece is, is that he once touted himself as the most employable graduate of Yale. Yeah. Which is such an odd <laughs> qualification. But, like, uh, his way into politics was by being a troop. Right. Yeah. He was an Iraq war veteran. I don't know if you can, uh, I don't know if our listeners can hear the air quotes I'm doing. He here. was with like, the Navy SEALs in <laughs> yeah. Iraq. He was in the same airplane with them as a legal advisor. Yeah. He, um, he actually did was physically in Iraq during the surge and also in Guantanamo Bay where he's been credibly accused and essentially admitted to torture. But like, that's just basically like they all do that. It's sort of like, Claiming a Super Bowl ring when you like you 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 work in like e-commerce for mm-hmm. the for whatever team that won. Yeah, not even a janitor. It's actually because they were in Iraq. It would have been like the Super Bowl ring. It would be like the uh, AFC Easter the conference loser ring. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> not even a Super Bowl win. Wild card participants, two thousand seven. Um. I mean, like, that's really what the surge was, is that they were just like, we could still get a wild card berth. You know, if a few games yeah. break right, right for the end of the year, we were in there. We're in the show. Yeah. Um, Bush was giving press conferences about how they had the tiebreaker. It was really rough. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think that's um, DeSantis's Iraq career is an interesting insight on him because he is partially like a bit too young for this. But there were people his age who like during the surge and a little bit before you could be like 33 and like Bush would appoint you to like um, give Iraq a new stock market. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you would, you would be made like defense minister if you had just graduated from Hillsborough. And mm-hmm. it shows that like, uh, as, as Josh has pointed out, like DeSantis was, 
he was trying to get in there, but he wasn't quite like he was he wasn't like, you know, Brett Stevens. Brett yeah. Stevens was a made guy before mm-hmm. uh, DeSantis was. Well, DeSantis majored in history in his undergrad. And I remember when I was I looked at the Washington Post book review for Dreams from Our Founding Fathers. And um, uh, like because I didn't want to read that. I think I have a friend who did. And like he said, he like finished reading it. He, he like sent me like a message saying Ron DeSantis will never be president. I don't even know how he's still alive. Uh, but the, the Washington Post did like um, compliment him for including a lot of footnotes in his uh, thing, which they said was rare for political memoirs. So, <laughs> well, I mean, like it, it's unquestionably he wanted to burnish his credentials as a troop, you know, very much mm-hmm. like a, like a Mayor Pete thing. He was in Afghanistan yeah. for like a month or two. Uh, Ron DeSantis was like, yeah, like sort of like a, the the legal advisor of the Navy SEALs is like being the treasurer of the club that raises money for the guys on the football team that they're mm-hmm. like, and you know, like they, they would just be like, Ron, is this legal as they, you know, show him a, a necklace of ears or something. And he was like, yeah, sure thing. I man. Yeah. But a, a, after, after, after his career in the military, he decides to bit he like, this is around 2008. He just becomes like a justice apartment bureaucrat, right? Like, yeah. He spends yeah. some time in the department of justice and like you make a point that like and then like then he had his eyes like from 2008 and 2012 was when he decided to run for Congress. And you make an interesting point that like in the lead up to his run for Congress, like because, you know, like it's a you know, he's checking all the boxes like, you know, mm-hmm. a troop Justice Department. And then what do you do if you want to go to Congress? Like, well, you say that, like, you could spend some time in D.C. or the state of Florida, like making local connections, burnishing your name, getting it out there. But no, you said he wrote a book. Like, and, yeah. and you, this back to the dreams from our founding fathers. This is a very, uh, like, you know, this is a very telling moment in the career of Ron DeSantis about how he sort of he thinks that he can he can do politics without talking to anyone, without being mm-hmm. in the same room with any other people. Yeah, exactly. And he did get to do that for a couple of years when he was a governor. But then, like, you can't do that forever. But yeah, that was his intention. And I don't, I know exactly how it sold. Uh, but given the fact that hard copies of the book, which is out of uh, production now, you can get it online. Hard copies are currently being sold for $1,600. That's how li- you people bought this thing. Uh, Bill Mitchell <laughs> is buying every copy at that yeah. price. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that that was the first thing he did. And uh, he thought it didn't work. He wanted to be, he, he thought he was going to write God and Man in Yale, but it's, just, it's not that era. And. And sort of like when he ran for when he ran for Congress, he was very much tried to build himself as like an outsider, right? Like a mm-hmm. Washington outsider. And like, how did he fill the role of just like he just sort of um he like he fills the shape of whatever the current sort of uh, form of reactionary fervent is. And yeah. in 2012, it was very much in the Tea Party moment. So how did mm-hmm. Ron feel like sort of pour himself into the Tea Party mold? Yeah, so it's it's interesting. Like what he did, a big thing he emphasizes early on, just because he was totally out of like uh, power. His tagline was "veteran citizen, not a politician." So his whole thing was that he was like, this is some like old fashioned like Ron Paul shit, where he was a citizen legislator. He wasn't a career politician. <laughs> he had like a life outside of being in politics, and that's what like you need to like have good like governance. You can't have people in there for thirty years. And the really interesting thing that actually makes his early career kind of compelling is that his first kind of promise is that he pledges to only serve three terms in the House, which I assume that he actually does like commit to. So that puts him on like a really like hard timer to like really shape up or shape out like you either get elected to the statewide office or you're he's just done. 
but he makes that promise, and then he like sucks up to a bunch of DC conservative packs, and he's like the most endorsable guy of all time. Like they all back him. John Bolton does fundraisers for him, and he does this like very nationalized kind of strategy where he's running against like school board members and state house uh, people, and he's able to win with a plurality there. That essentially means he gets elected. But uh, th- that was the first part of the series, and it was really just like. He has never really been able to stand by himself, and he's never really had an interest in doing that. It's his entire career has been run through endorsements, and to the extent that like he's been able to do that without like relying on a god king as in Trump, he's been able to successfully do this once, and it was in a low turnout primary where like thirty thousand people voted against a split field, and he only got thirty nine percent of the vote. Yeah, and it also, I mean, this early portion also captures another thing that we're definitely seeing with him now he always sometimes by a little sometimes by a lot kind of misses the moment mm-hmm. um like in this case during tea party mania he is bringing out things from the contract with america exactly yeah uh just like now he is right at a time where there's like backlash to social overreach uh he really doesn't have anything but that mm-hmm. yeah He's trying to run like a moral maturity campaign like 40 years after that. Yeah. Um, you quote a uh, basically a, a progressive political blogger from DeSantis's district, a guy named Pierre Trist, uh, Tristam, yeah. who, wrote, who wrote this of DeSantis in 2013. Yeah, he went crazy. He says, uh, you quote him as writing, DeSantis is an ex-corporate lawyer with the personality of a bookend and a push-button doll's ability to parrot the most right-wing talking points in a whiny soprano voice. He's incapable of speaking an original idea or speaking a phrase free of cliches, a remarkable achievement for an Ivy League graduate that should nevertheless have made him a capable working congressman. But fundraising aside, DeSantis is not interested in hard work, even less so in governments. He's a saboteur. He derails with self-righteous bombast and distortions for TNT. He is, in a short, your standard issue Tea Party reactionary. So yeah, that guy called those. the shot back in 2013. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that is that um article is a fun example of like kind of like 2010s liberals, like like pre-resistance but post-Obama, because he does make sure to say that he really likes his credentials. Like he's saying <laughs> he, sh- he should be a good congressman. I don't know why he's so weird. He went to Harvard. And also the basis for that article is that he was mad that they were going to shut down the government over Obamacare. So <laughs> it's it's very much a time capsule. But some things are like eternal. He is an ex-corporate lawyer with the personality of a bookend. And the, the Whitey Soprano voice thing was very satisfying to read. I was shocked people didn't bring that up more often when he was getting a lot of hype. Well, I mean, just like I realized that like uh, I, had, I had known what he looked like for so long when he was like, you know, on paper was this very intimidating political figure. But I realized mm-hmm. like it wasn't even until like a year, probably within the last year or so that I was exposed to what he sounded like. Oh, man. And that's when that that's when like the sort of oh, the fear of, like I said, the sort of uh, dead zone moment flooded away uh-huh. from me because I was like, oh. This guy, see, he's got bitch voice. He sounds like a bitch. Yeah, you immediately can, like, tell. Like, you never forget the first time you hear his voice. I had to rewind it, like, five times. I was like, no, does he have a cold? There's no way. <laughs> um, and just before we get to his uh, his his uh, ill-fated Senate run, uh, you make a comparison between him and a uh, fellow Tea Party Florida congressman, Joe Walsh, if anyone uh-huh. remembers, remembers that guy. And just sort of, like, the way, the way in which they both sort of, like, rode this Tea Party thing into Washington, and then the way, like... The two of them and like Joe Walsh isn't in Congress anymore, but like the way they handled that moment, particularly in terms of like Joe Walsh always being there to give a quote to the media and Ron DeSantis basically being a hermit who didn't talk to anyone. 
Uh huh. Yeah. My favorite anecdote, I think, maybe from this entire thing, like this was so painful to even read. Like Politico said, at one time he spent a long car ride with like another member of Congress, and the entire time the guy had to talk with his wife because he didn't say a single word the entire ride. Yeah, it was like a two-hour car ride, and this mm-hmm. guy had to make conversation with Casey DeSantis for two hours while he while yeah. Ron DeSantis was in the car. If that guy was a twelve-year-old boy, that was the best like couple hours of his <laughs> life. <laughs> but like i but like what about like like you know like the as, as far as the contrast with joe walsh goes like i mean it, it, as being indicative of a certain aloofness in in his style that really doesn't translate if, if for seeking national political office yeah he was like the incel congressman basically like he was always like kind of brooding never made any friends he had like a little office in like a back room where it did all of his work. He left for Florida the second like the like the clock hit. Like he was really just not interested in working, which is kind of cool. But it was just because he thought he was smarter than everybody. Like he openly said he thought he was spinning the wheels in Congress. That was his way of justifying it. And it's kind of funny because he says like, oh, I think I was just too pure for the House. I couldn't do any of the corruption. I'm, I'm, too, <laughs> I'm too nice of a guy. Too real for these streets. I'm sorry. It's what he said. Yeah. So he had come into Congress with like making this uh, having pledged this vow to only serve three terms, probably because, mm-hmm. you know, because he, he's a citizen legislator. Yeah. And also because, you know, Congress is for little people and he's got his eyes on he's got his eyes on the prize. Mm-hmm. So uh, how, how did it come about that he ran for Senate when he did? Oh, yeah. So what happened with that was that um, like Marco Rubio ran for uh, president in 2016, uh, which in his, his election for his Senate seat was also in 2016. So you can't run in the primary and like run for president at the same time. So he just he promised he swore up and down like I hate the Senate. This shit sucks. I don't even like it. I don't want to do this. I'm, I'm it's either presidency or bust for me. And he was very committed to this. So it left like this open seat like in a way people didn't expect. So DeSantis like right after Rubio announces his presidential campaign says that he's going to run for Senate and he looks like this very formidable figure on paper. Like the newspapers at the time are talking about him as like. This like he has like all these connections with the right. He fits in with like this movement. He has like a really committed base. They all like him. He's going to be like a big contender. But for the entire year, and this is like a year in between Rubio when he says he's not going to run and when he eventually comes slithering back and like says, I, nah, I was joking. I'm actually I want to be in the Senate again. And well, like uh, he, he pulls in single digits. You said that like uh, little Marco like spared Ron the disgrace of losing as badly as he would have. He did, yes. He probably saved his entire career. You describe his Senate campaign as being like he he had no juice. He had no, he, got, he was not able to get off the fucking he had ground negative at all. Juice. Nobody gave yeah. a shit. He was like he didn't get any endorsements. Well, he did get some endorsements, but like what was really interesting about this is that like this is a like the first example of a really consistent trend. The more Ron DeSantis stays in a race, the worse he does in general. Like he started off with around like support like around 20 percent. And by the end of the year, he was in the single digits, like trailing at every single poll. The more people saw of him, the less they liked of him, even like when nobody was paying attention to this. So like the more effort he put into this run, the worse he did. There's just like this intrinsic and this happens again and again and again, like after this. So like the more he he does, the worse he does. Reading. Yeah. Reading the failed uh, Senate run. It uh, it it reminded me of LBJ in that. this was like a bizarro uh, LBJ Senate run. Mm-hmm. Like LBJ Senate run was, it was like an always sunny episode. 
where they come out on top. <laughs> like he was, he was doing every hilarious trick. Yeah. And a helicopter. He had a helicopter. It had his name on the tail, like the Thanos copter. Yeah. <laughs> He was, you know, um, as it would, as happens in a few Always Sunny episodes, he was actually going against a guy who was more repulsive than him. Mm -hmm. And like just through through grit and being a piece of shit and know how he he pulls it out. And it's like, holy shit, you did so much with, you know, starting with so little. And with Ron, it's the opposite where he is. He looks built to, uh, you know, in this extremely unlikely event where everyone from Florida gets promoted, he looks built to ascend to the Senate. And mm-hmm. yeah, the further it goes, the the more the wheels fall off. He yeah. is, I mean, I wouldn't even call it front runner syndrome because it's not like he ever starts out blowing people out of the water. He starts out like, you know, five, maybe 10 points ahead in this uh-huh. few scattered polls. But consistently, the more people see of him, the worse he does. Yeah. He also had his own helicopter. It's a very sad incident. They call it Eagle Claw 2. Uh, that set his state <laughs> back. Yeah. That set his state went prospect. What happened to Eagle Claw 1? Oh, that was the real Eagle Claw. This was the <laughs> second one. Yeah, they, they don't like talking about that in Florida. It's considered a, like kind of a nonpartisan tragedy. Wait, what happened with Eagle Claw 1? Well, Operation Eagle, Eagle Claw. Eagle Claw was the failed uh, Iran hostage. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, they yeah. crashed in the desert. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> American pilots between like um like Vietnam and like the Iraq war, they fucking loved getting into helicopter crashes. They did it all the time. They, yeah. they were addicted to it. And ever since ever since Obama made the military woke, now they have to like die in Osprey crashes. Yeah. Snowed. They did yeah. put one thing in where they did lose that one helicopter during the Bin Laden raid. That was like their last real like kind of flourish for the fans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the one example that uh, stood out to me from his um, doomed uh, Senate run is that like when he was, um, you know, circling the drain at around 10 or 11 percent, uh, like he would try to get a splash by um, uh, declaring that he would appoint Ben Carson to like head of the Senate. He was just trying he to get said to make him Speaker of the House. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and then and then try and like and then like just like Dick riding Dan Bongino. Yeah, just, yeah, just trying to just trying to get Ben Carson and Dan Bongino to like really pull it out for him in the Senate. Yeah, and he got all his endorsements later on, and he kept on doing worse. The Ben Carson one was also while he was surging, so. He, I think he thought he was going to like get in on him once he became the nominee or something. He has like, like a golden retriever sense of political instincts. So like we all know how 2016 turned out, and uh, yeah. I like yeah, you you have you have a very good uh, uh, like paragraph here about like um, you said Donald Trump's victory in twenty in the 2016 presidential election completely transformed the Republican Party. Over the course of a single night, all the power held by a thousand bickering factions and local power brokers was subsumed into a single man. Disputes over ideology, policy, commitment to the cause, whatever. They were now rendered all as irrelevant as the, the great man has shown them to be. After years of watching their party seemingly lose and betray them time and time again, conservatives now had a winner, someone who spoke about, treated, and beat their hated enemies in a way nobody else did. It was electric. To this day, they are willing to follow and essentially have followed Donald Trump into the depths of hell for giving them this. Mm-hmm. What, so like, now it's Trump's era how does Ron DeSantis see himself in that? And like, how does he set himself up to run for governor, which was, he was successful in doing. Yeah. Well, the thing with the governor thing, um, that was an open seat and it was always going to be his best shot. I think that was like his intention. 
And that was the one thing DeSantis did that was actually good. And this just like kind of shows, uh, I think um, it was him following his instincts as a right wing authoritarian nerd in that moment. But in that time, the right was so unified that like all the energy you could put in towards impressing that was basically the energy you'd put towards doing anything as a Republican politician. You're just getting Trump's endorsement. And this is like, I can't even really call it clever because they were all trying to do it. But he was able to suck up to Trump like nobody else could. And uh, it's really funny to see how like Trump kind of like um, like describes it in retrospect. Like he says, like like really what people point out is a critical moment where he does get Trump's like kind of quasi endorsement for the first time is uh, they were on a, a plane together going to a rally in South Florida for Roy Moore in 2017, which, uh, yeah. And uh, uh, so this is, that's the backdrop you need to keep in mind here. And the way Trump has said it, DeSantis goes up to him and he asks him if he wants like to be in, like if he can endorse him. And Trump says that he told DeSantis he was a lousy candidate and that DeSantis started crying. And then he said that um, he couldn't, DeSantis couldn't even win if George Washington or Abraham Lincoln came back from the dead and started campaigning for him. And then he endorsed him like two weeks later. But <laughs> I mean, we say he doesn't have any political talents. He has one. He is very mm-hmm. good at sucking up. Yes, he's like, a all he pro. has that. He has that nerd's instinct like, oh, who is who's the big man on campus? Get sucked up to them. But the problem with that is, is that it's very hard if you're one of those guys to run as the guy people are supposed to suck up to. Because yeah. if you're if that's what you do, if that's your native instinct, it just you, you got the stink on you. Yeah, yeah. You, ha- you can't be the guy if you are always trying to find who the guy is. Like, yeah, you can't run as Ron DeSantis when that's he's never run. He's never won as himself outside of the 2012 race. That's the only race out of all the ones that I've tracked where I can definitively say, yeah, that was him like actually winning as Ron DeSantis and he was running against school board members. It was total nonsense. It was, anybody could have done that. Yeah. Um, another LBJ comparison. LBJ was a prodigious, uh, suck upper. He mm-hmm. was, he, he could dick ride like five guys. Oh, at that's once. true. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sam Rayburn, Richard <laughs> five guys Russell. could dick ride him at once. That's for sure. Uh, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was like a Terminator. He'd roll into the, uh, the capital and he would just like look for lonely old closet cases from the south yes. and just <laughs> yes. go over and be Russell. like i will be your uh, kind of erotic son and go to ball yeah. games with you yeah that rayburn was, rayburn, yeah. rayburn was like a uh he was written like a closeted gay character in like a ya novel like mm-hmm. easy enough that even a seventh grader could go oh he's gay yeah there's an awesome quote from Rayburn where he's just like sitting with LBJ, like alone in a room. And he's like, you know, I always wish I could have a son, a boy who I could look after. And he's just staring at him. And it's like, come on, man. <laughs> yeah. Come on. L- and LBJ was such a suck up that he had Rayburn over for dinner a lot. And mm-hmm. one time, like he was, LBJ is one of the worst husbands in history. Uh-huh. Oh and yeah. Lady Bird made turkey hash. And he was like, what the fuck? He's the speaker of the house, you stupid bitch. Turkey hash? And like flip the table over. Like terrible. Ter- like just a, a horrible guy and a complete suck up. But he was able to like dick ride all these guys and then, you know, not like take it in stride. And then years later be like, all right, now you have to dick ride me. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. he was, he was, he had a two tool dick, mm-hmm. which Ron DeSantis does not. Yeah, he was pulling <laughs> on that uh, Requiem of a Dream like action. <laughs> 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 yeah. 
Yeah, that's how you understand politics. <laughs> yeah. I think another interesting thing about his tenure as governor of Florida is sort of like the story of the state of Florida as mm-hmm. like, you know, like always been kind of like, you know, a nut case, like, you know, a nut house state. Yeah. But like, it, but it, you know, it was a swing state and like, you know, and then even the way around this, I mean, the, you have a hilarious, hilarious, like the, the contrast between on one issue, the issue of toxic fucking nerve destroying algae. Yeah. Destroying Florida wildlife and <laughs> the red, the red tide, the yeah. market contrast between his tenure as a, in the early, early in his uh, governorship and Rick Scott, who had <laughs> the outgoing governor who had some, it's sort of like, made it a point to like not just not do anything about the red tide but actively make it worse mm-hmm. and you know what it all goes back to sugar yes this yep. is the funniest thing okay i remember felix you pointed out like one of my like uh like a screenshot of a paragraph that i wrote i think in part three about like where i mentioned that like the sugar lobby was like his main foe and you're like oh that's how so is that reference. how is that not made up no, it, it, it I didn't my even, mind. that was such a big part of the story. I included it just like as a journalistic thing. I wasn't even thinking of the joke when I wrote that. It was just so huge. Every other article I would read about it would be like the sugar lobby is spending two trillion dollars on taking them out. Like they just hate this guy. And I didn't even get it until Felix pointed it out. And I was like, oh, but the funny part of it is, is that, that it was such a big part of his career. I didn't even intend that. It was just like those were his main ops his entire life. It stretches yes. back literal decades. <laughs> yes. Man and is like, ontologically it, opposed to sugar. Yeah, he was <laughs> he was voting against their interest in fucking farm bills in 2011. It like and, 2012, I mean. It's like and this, and this is, is day one. And this is one example of um, uh, how being against sugar um, could actually be good for the state of Florida because Rick Scott, of course, was like sugar. I mean, like they were they were sugaring him. He was getting sugared up by the sugar industry, and the, these red these toxic algae blooms largely occur because of the like the runoff from Florida's sugarcane production. They mm-hmm. just dump it into the fucking ocean, and like it just juices like, these yeah. toxic algae blooms. And, and then, like, like one of the first things DeSantis did as governor was to pledge a kind of conscious environmental stewardship, which is like, look. Uh, tourism is a huge industry in Florida, so I mean, mm-hmm. like, hey, hey, Florida, come to our beaches. They run red with blood. It doesn't, yeah, doesn't exactly literally. like a, a, a compelling pitch, but at the same time, like the way you the way you talk about DeSantis's early days as governor, he basically governed as like and, and became incredibly popular. This is very crucial. Became very popular mm-hmm. in the state of Florida, governing as basically a moderate Republican like like statesman. Yeah, I remember this because it was people were like really surprised by it because they're like, oh, who could have seen this coming? And he, this is like actually people always miss this because like I mentioned in like the fourth one, it's the most recent one. I think it's pinned on my Twitter. You should check it out if you haven't. Uh, is that his like popularity? People act like he came into existence during COVID, but he was around there for a year before that, and he was at his most popular right before COVID. He was at like sixty-five percent approval because people were just happy that they had a reasonable-looking sort of like guy who seemed to actually understand what the issues were. And like, he was just opposite of his current policies of practically everything. Like he was like doing memorials for like, um, like the Pulse massacre. He said like, he didn't care if people were gay or religious. He just wanted people to live their lives like the libertarian thing. 
Uh, he was appointing Democrats to major statewide offices. He was put he put a lot of money into actually the red tide stuff. Like he started a whole division for that. He created an independent board. It was like he looked like a kind of hands-on, effective sort of like leader beyond ideology. And I think that's like a point that I like getting across a lot. And you can kind of tie it into the stuff like with Biden currently in the polls right now. Like a lot of people, nobody's really tied into the ideology. It's just like the sense of looking like a kind of reasonable kind of governing person. And he looked like that for his first year. I mean, like, it's actually an important point you make about um, his tenure um, during COVID, during the COVID years. Mm-hmm. And like the point you make is that like contrary to I think what people sort of assume is that um, anyone who was a politician during COVID um, mm-hmm. saw their approval ratings go up, not down. And yes. like, it, does it really matter what position they took on COVID pro or anti lockdown? It was just sort of like being in a figure of leadership during a crisis um, made people like you. That was, yeah, last year in 2022 for like, you can look at the governor's races. There was only a single incumbent governor in the entire country who lost. And that was a guy in a Nevada, in a very tourist independent state who took pro lockdown positions. So governors across the board were very, very popular besides Hochul who came in after COVID. Uh, like Mike DeWine wanted a huge blowout landslide, like Whitmer, that was partially it. Like people wanted races they otherwise should have lost. A lot of it has been because they have been very popular since COVID. Like there's, there was one poll that came out that like showed every single governor in the country having positive approval to this day. And I don't really believe that, but like, I think it's partially true. And a lot of it is because of like a lot of them were during that period that kind of a halo effect from it. But like his, his, his management of COVID as governor of Florida is another interesting case in, in, in terms of like a, a contrast with his, I mean, it's not as marked a contrast as like, for instance, you know, um, stopping <laughs> toxic algae blooms, mm-hmm. but like, how, how would you, like, how would you rate his approach to like COVID and lockdowns? Cause like you met, you know, Florida is a state that needs tourism to survive. So uh-huh. like, obviously his approach was going to be, um, hemmed in by that, shall we say, but like, as as far as like his the current iteration of Ron DeSantis, how does that compare to the one who was actually governor during COVID? Uh, well, he was. Um, it was. It's interesting because he actually he was never a leader on like stopping the lockdowns. I think Kemp actually ended the shelter in place order before he did. So um, there's a like there's like there's a lot you can say where he was still kind of like like kind of looking at from the sideline trying to play the middle ground. There was one notable moment where he kind of like another example of him using Rick Scott as a punching bag where he during like the early days of COVID when they were sending in all the aid, he deliberately went after Scott for saying that he created roadblocks in the unemployment system that were made to make people like to make getting benefits harder, which I, I thought that was like actually kind of interesting. But like, I mean, I'm not going to cape for his policies at all. I like I, I think it was all of the stuff he did was ideologically and career motivated. But like for a state like Florida, I think people like who live in states that actually build things and like make things and are not just like (laughs) awful and shitty. Like we kind of had the idea that like, oh, you want to keep people alive because like uh, that matters to your state. Florida doesn't need anybody living there. They need people coming in. So like (laughs) that's such a oh man, that's such a good point about Florida. They really don't need Mm -hmm. to keep anyone alive in that state. Nor nor are they. They could staff it with robots and do just as well. (laughs) Like the people there don't make shit. But um 
I, yeah, no, I, but like, uh, but DeSantis himself, uh, like, it has become a kind of avatar for what Florida represents politically now, mm-hmm. which has gone from being like one of the largest states in America that was, you know, red-ish, but you know, could could swing blue in a presidential election yeah. to what is now basically a leper colony, like an yeah. absolute just literally, fucking rat house. Literally, leprosy yeah. is now back in Florida. Mm-hmm. They got yeah. it. They got fucking Hansen's disease, running riot. <laughs> Yeah. Never say they're not neo-feudalists. <laughs> and it was like it, it it was like a very self-selecting thing. I mean, I think I don't I was kind of surprised to see this because it seemed like a, a joke outcome. But so many people really did move away from blue and like purplish areas to Florida at mm-hmm. such a margin that it I mean I think 2016 was kind of an aberration and Clinton Mm -hmm. ran such a singular campaign, even though Democrats usually are shitty on Cuba. She, she went above and beyond. Mm -hmm. I I think it's an aberration that she won uh, Miami Dade in 2016. Oh, by the way, she did. Certainly. Yeah. 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 But I mean, it was probably already like a few points red, but it's just, Mm -hmm. it's like, in the territory now where no one can ever believe it was a swing state, except yeah. if you're the Democrat, the national Democratic Party. Yeah, they're still and then spending money on that, on, yeah. their, on their commercials that show that Biden isn't old. They're spending money in Florida, but not Texas, which is a, it's, it's very curious. They they almost certainly could have won a, another Senate seat in Wisconsin last mm-hmm. year. Oh, yeah, they spent $75 million on Florida and almost nothing. Oh, that's so... Bars lost by 1% of the vote. He lost by 1%. Yeah. Well, I mean, and now we're seeing with the uh, the Wisconsin Supreme Court, you know, how important Uh Wisconsin is as a state. So just Mm -hmm. write Florida off. It's all about about real upper Midwest hours if you're a a politician. Yeah. They're going to fucking lose, like, the national popular vote and win, like, the Electoral College because of the upper Midwest. Like, Like, that's the shit that's happening. The normal whites are their last soldiers. That's they all. They're all they have left. <laughs> well, the normal normal whites are like the whites that vote for them now. They're like the ghost army that fought mm-hmm. for Aragorn. Fight for us and regain your honor. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's like the ghost of like Copperhead Democrats and Dixiecrats. It is. Yeah. It's it's a it's specifically Josh. It's your joke about the guy who approves of everything the Democratic Party has done from 1820 to present. Yeah, I actually I, I, I know I know a guy like that now. By the way, the guy who I had on like my show a couple weeks Jacksonian ago, Jacksonian Democrats. Yeah, yeah, I think Pelosi is like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It does remind me of on their site, they, the Democratic Party official website um, in their party history thing. It starts in 1919. Like, what were you guys up to before that? <laughs> anything going on? You don't have anything to advertise about? Like, I'm not expecting to advertise, like, popular sovereignty, but not even, like, I don't know, like, democratization. You could put Andrew Jack. They had the Jackson Jefferson dinners. They got rid of those because they went woke. That, that made me so sad. <laughs> Bring them I, back. They yeah. do. Yeah. It's funny that we're like Obama was going to all of those. Yeah. Okay, so like now we get to the like the the current moment, and like I said, which Florida is now a leper colony, in which like Ron DeSantis has turned his state into a petri dish, as like the sort of proving ground for like the uh, the PragerU Daily Wire education standards, and just sort of like mm-hmm. an experiment in human misery and um, uh, devastation. But the thing is, like just before that, emerging out of COVID, Ron DeSantis is in the catbird seat. 
And you mm. make the point that, like, finally, this is like he has the power to do what he wants to do and to let to let Ron be Ron. And I think the very important point you make is his hard right turn on all these social issues that like to now make him synonymous with like anti-gay and anti-trans hatred and bigotry. Mm -hmm. He did this not out of political expediency. In fact, he did it much to his political detriment. He did it because he wanted to, because this is what he believes in. And more importantly, the people that he looks up to, like Ben Shapiro, it's what they believe in. Yeah, he cares deeply about conservatism as a concept. That's why he says shit like rudderless vessels or whatever. Like that, <laughs> that is type of shit like that you say if like you believe in William F. Buckley. Like you're, yeah. you, you call you, it's like those type of people call themselves one nation conservatives, even though they live in America. Like they are crazy. I I'm reminded of guys um, who posted on forums with me in 2004 who called themselves Burkean conservatives. Exactly, that is him. He was on that forum. That was him. <laughs> <laughs> I, I probably I I probably um got into one of those annoying forum arguments where I quoted Ron DeSantis unknowingly and refuted <laughs> his his post sentence by sentence. Yeah, he actually had a really cool signature, so I'll give him credit. <laughs> <laughs> he had like a GIF. Those were hard, that was hard in two thousand three. <laughs> yeah, he had an ASCII thing of a gun. <laughs> so now we get to the the the, the current moment like uh, his presidential run and I just want I want to read from uh, I want to quote you here for a second Josh mm -hmm, yeah. right he is simply not a good politician What's worth figuring out now is how did DeSantis get to the heights he rose in the first place? How did he manage to pull at parity with a former president during the few, first few months of the year? And how did he manage to become so popular with Florida voters across such an extended period of time? And how did he manage to hide his obvious problems for so long? And I think like we, we've, we've gone through those questions, but like we're now, we're now, now Ron DeSantis, like I said at the beginning, is pulling neck and neck with Vivek Ramswamy. Uh -huh. And we're like, how do, where, where do you see Ron DeSantis? How do you see like... It's the launch and everything that's happened since then. Like you said, like donors running for the exits, hemorrhaging staff, um, Nazi after Nazi, let yeah. go from the campaign. Kim Scott media cycles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so where, where does this, I mean, like, we, I think we all know where this leaves DeSantis now. I mean, like there is, there is nobody, nobody who is beating Trump in this Republican primary, but where, what does DeSantis do after this, after he like is, suffers the worst humiliation of his yet i mean hopefully long life full of humiliation but like wh what does he do now where, where is this going well i like to i like to just backtrack to a poll i just saw actually like just right before coming on the show so the one saving grace for the santas and people have actually asked me about this uh like if trump like dies or goes to jail or something you think he would be pretty well set to like pick up the slack he's like the most high profile well like like resourced guy but there was a poll where they asked exactly that question, and it said there's no Trump. You can't vote for him. Ron DeSantis was at 34%. Vivek Ramaswamy was at 32 Oh, He has a path. He, has, he officially has a path. Oh, It could happen. You can, like, write, like, a kind of just, like, one bad heartbeat, one, like, too many, like, Diet Cokes for Trump. And suddenly, like, there are three people on the planet who have a possible chance of being in the White House next year. It's uh, Joe Biden, Ron DeSantis, and Vivek. It's real. Shouldn't have gone to the Iowa State Fair. You know, if if Ron was not listening to Brand New before, he certainly is now. <laughs> yeah. I think Bill Mitchell will still stick with him. Yeah, no, Bill is riding to the end. Like, mm -hmm. Bill is a true warrior. I respect that about uh, him. Yeah, I like him. He, uh, I was following him when he made his turn. It was because he broke with Trump because Trump called DeSantis a, pa a gay pedophile. And you know what? 
<laughs> I think that's fair. If you like both of them, I think that was uncalled for by Trump. So Yeah, it was a little much. I can mm-hmm. say that. Yeah. Just call him one of the two, man. <laughs> Like a point you make, I mean, I guess like credit to Ron DeSantis on on this on 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 this issue, but you said like I mean it may not be successful for him at the presidential level, but he has he has certainly created a template that all other Republican politicians are attempting to follow, no matter if it works or not. Like he has sort of DeSantisized uh, like all of the Trump wannabes, sort of like similar in the way that mm-hmm. like do you think like kind of similar in the way like in 2020 all the democratic primary candidates all Charles tried to kind of pretend to be Bernie Sanders uh, yeah. they're all they're all following but they're all following kind of his like the like i said like the uh the daily wire prager you path to yeah. um uh, being an authoritarian dork he's like the velvet underground yeah uh, i think another interesting thing about desantis and, and a point you make is that like once again, these on-paper candidates do really well until they get to the presidential elect- presidential level. Of our last, like, five presidents, like, four of the last five of them were kind of like, I mean, you're like they, they, they did not fit the normal, like, political uh-huh, yeah. path to becoming a president. And it's sort of like all of the, all the ways that make him similar to every other Republican candidate or presidential nominee or politician uh, greatly weakens him at the presidential level and everything that makes him unique to being Ron DeSantis weakens him even further at the presidential level. Yeah. Voters like being silly. And, you know, he came out against being silly. He said it was silly season and a dismissive call. <laughs> silly season. Yeah. And that was that was a very bad moment for him because it's like, you know, we like voting for the black guy. We like voting for the game show host. We like voting for the really experienced guy, but only when he's like decaying and can't walk around. Like voters, they don't want somebody who like kind of makes too much sense because then they feel like they're getting getting scammed. Yeah. Like they'd rather like have somebody who's openly trying to scam them, like Trump, than a guy who like is kind of pretending to be like normal. So he just he wasn't really hitting the right notes for that. Like I guess that takes us to uh, I mean, like you mentioned polls, and I, mm-hmm. I I wanted to I wanted I definitely wanted to get your get your perspective on this. Like so. Barring death or, or for, you know, felonious imprisonment, um, hey, I don't, I don't know. Does that, does that end it? I, I mean, Eugene like, Debs very, did it. You can run for president yeah. in jail. Yeah, Ask Eugene Debs. Yeah, Eugene Debs did it. He got like two percent of the vote. They can't keep him off the ballot. They're trying yeah. to take him off the ballot with the Fourteenth Amendment. They're well, trying to ultimate like Rhino, like Secretary of State in New Hampshire, said he would do that, and it's like that's hater behavior. You need to chill. Well, like, yeah, well, like, like I said, like, bar- barring barring the death of one or t- one or both of them, it's going to be Trump Biden in twenty twenty four. And now I guess I guess from like the like you know the, the, all the other Republican DeSantis, the rest of them, like they're they're afterthoughts at this point. It's it's Trump. He is in control of the party. He is the one who has a relationship with their voters. They are not changing horses. Mm-hmm. There's never any logic. Yeah, but like okay, but let's go over to the Democratic side. You've got Biden. How, like how how do we, how do you view the democratic reaction to uh, like many many polls which have Trump and Biden now Trump now indicted by ninety different felonies deadlocked dead even like yeah, this, so is is this is this suicidal on their part or like do they do they feel pretty confident in like just in like running the Biden program is enough to just like is it maybe the only uh, I've seen people say Biden's the only one who can defeat Trump. And this is a complete lie. That's so yeah. bullshit. <laughs> no, he is the Trump only person who could who lose, lose to him. And you don't even have to ask the question, could the Democrats do this? They already did that. They already did nominate the it's only the person same. who could have lost to Donald Trump. They did that in 2016. 
that means they're going to do it again. If you look at it in terms of favorables, it's the exact same thing. It's like his his favorables are almost the same as Hillary. Trump's favorables are almost the exact same was before he became president. And like the polling looks relatively similar. It's what's it's kind of a little creepy about it is they seem to think that he's what won them the midterms, which is so wrong. Oh, man. Yeah. That's, he uh, put yeah. on the glasses. It was epic. <laughs> I, I, I mean, like, we've talked a lot about how, like, no one understands why Trump won, least of all Trump. Mm-hmm. But I think this is just a universal phenomenon in politics. Like, um, they're, it's very cargo cultish. Like, mm-hmm. it, it, it's an unprecedented result for uh, Democrats at a midterm, most of all it, surprising, despite Joe Biden. Yeah, but it was the fact that he was there. Yeah, the fact that he was there is just like, oh, well, he's the only guy who could have done this. Yeah, it's it's like there's a lot of before there was a lot of like talking about the economy and like how awesome Biden's economy is and how stupid people are for not recognizing it. And what does it mean that people are so stupid? And I've seen people bring up like, oh, you say that Biden's economy is bad, but he, they had an unprecedentedly good midterms underneath it. Like it was so like if if he had like a different economy, they would have won like five Senate seats. Like the the only reason why they it was as close as it was was because Biden held them back so much. And you can see that in how they campaigned. They treated him like he was a leper during the election. They he would not they would not bring him to a single swing state. He was campaigning in Maryland and Oregon. He wasn't out there like with Warnock or anybody. It was they, he was like a toxic like waste site. They didn't want to be anywhere near him. And then suddenly, like it's a couple months after that, his numbers haven't improved. They've arguably gotten worse. And now they're all like, oh, it's Bidenomics. He's our great leader. We all like him. We think he's so awesome. It's like, no, you don't. And nobody's going to buy that because you all ran on like not even like Warnock said he didn't think he should run again or he said he wouldn't like endorse him. And then suddenly he's talking about how cool he is. It's just I the explanation for it. And it's hard to think about Biden himself as like a discreet actor who's making decisions on his own behalf. But I think it really is kind of coming from him. And it does say a lot about his personality. He's kind of a lunatic for doing this. Like, yeah. Yeah. No, he is a like he, this is a fucking Greek tragedy here. This guy who who is born to suck up and is so good at sucking up, he gives himself hubris pretensions that he could be the guy and Mm -hmm. he's brought raised up by this god and he can't recognize that yes this is the guy that you should be bending the knee to in all circumstances no i'm gonna try to over i'm gonna try to overthrow him you Mm -hmm. fool you're gonna be strapped to a fucking rock and having your liver pecked out forever now because of this yeah because his legacy is destroyed if he loses to trump Everything, all of his career career will have led up to that. And if he stood down, he looks like a great statesman. He, he looks like uh, like Cincinnati. He shepherded in America through four yeah. wee, weird years and, you know, yeah. got us out of COVID or whatever. Yeah, yeah. he came back yeah. for one last job. And, yeah, and it's like, <laughs> it's, it's a way, and it's a way happy, if he does that, it's a way happier ending than a guy who has his fingerprints over most of the worst decisions of the last 50 years deserves to have. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, um, yeah, no, I, I, I'm, I'm particularly stultified by Bidenomics because oh. I, it's like no one actually believed in this shit at the time when they were writing all these articles in daily beast about like class first, uh, burning uh-huh. rats, but 
being a, a, a class first Democrat with a really unpopular economy at a time when abortion is under threat of an effective national ban is it really makes those articles fun to go back. To. Just run the Hillary campaign now, you fucking morons. Talk about the court again. You were fine doing that when it was a dumb idea, but now it's a smart idea and you do the thing you should have done back then. Yeah. Well, uh, Josh, you, you, made a, you made a good point the other day. I mean, like in, in, in light of uh, Bidenomics is that it seems to be like what Biden has done his four years, like his three years in office so far is basically he's done the thing that every like Democratic consultant says that like the Aaron Sorkin ideal president would do as a Democrat, mm -hmm. which is like infrastructure. Talk about, you know, kitchen uh, jobs. table issues. Yeah. yeah, kitchen table issues. And like he, he has pressed that button over and over again. But like, I mean, like the, the suicidal thing is just like Trump could very easily become president in 2020. Yeah. Very easily. The thing is, they aren't adapting the conditions. They're responding to them. They yeah. saw and, that, like, and they the were, social, like one of those yeah. conditions gave them the biggest political gift that they've had in my lifetime, which is the overturning of Roe v. Wade. They should just run on abortion. That should be the mm -hmm. only issue they're talking about. Because yeah. like this Bidenomic shit. No, here, here, here's a little clue for the politicos out there. Nobody knows if the economy is good or not. If you, <laughs> it's they good, just it's know bad. that Biden's been yeah. in charge of it. They don't fucking like yeah. him because he's an eighty-year-old man who's been around since like the invention of the steam engine. Um, but like, I I, I know when uh, when when uh, Matt kicked the harness, that's a little bit like saying that you should direct your anger at like the people who uh, you could potentially sway uh, to avoid this dire outcome, which is uh, you know like if, if you believe Trump is the you know fascist leader that uh, he his proponents believe him to be. Well, they all do really think I, as a result of that, I, I got the reactions. A lot of them truth think, truly think, well, they're not upset and they're not freaking out because they think Biden is the good candidate. They think that he's the guy who can beat Trump. They don't think that there's a better option. And of course, yeah. that's, you know, that is uh, what the kids call cope, because it what they're true. really trying to elide is the fact that even if they could all recognize to each other, oh, yeah, no, this is a terrible idea. There is nothing they can do. There is no way to organize a successful primary of an incumbent president. You cannot mm -hmm. do it. He's dug in there like an Alabama tick. Yeah, exactly. like, okay. If, if Biden were to relieve them of that by like never having said that he was going to run for reelection and said, like, I'm not seeking reelection. Which then, he like, said. He said <laughs> that. He said yeah. it was a bridge. Yeah. He, what pisses me off, he deliberately pointed to Gretchen Whitmer specifically and said, this is the this is the future of the Democratic Party. I'm just a bridge who's going to defeat Trump and then we'll move on to the future. And then he's like suddenly like, no, I need I'm the guy who's reversing neoliberalism. I need to like I need to finish the job. Like, it's not your fucking job, idiot. You're a figurehead. That's all you've ever been. Hubris, man. Yeah. You, he, yeah. Going out on a one final loss, though, as his brain like powers down, he has to be a fitting end to a life that was just defined by him being a fucking loser at every key juncture. Imagine that lame duck period where he's just in the White House for three months after having lost the Trump. <laughs> oh, my yeah. God. Just wandering around. Oh, man. Having that, conversations sort of, with the curtains. Uh -huh. For talking about how root beer doesn't taste no good yeah, no more. Looking at the photorealistic Obama picture and like pit freaking out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it really, you know, for a guy whose plagiar plagiarism scandal was centered around Neil Kinnock, that would be a perfect <laughs> ending. Yeah. Oh God, I think he's going to lose now. That would actually just be too good. Yeah, it's Fuck it's you. it's uh, it's so artfully constructed that it has to happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the idea of him being some triumphant president in 2029 just does not work. 
Well, the idea yeah, of him just being alive and him going out on a high note, him going out on I won and I proved the haters wrong. That's just that does not feel like Biden mm-hmm. winning yeah. just to lose to the guy he beat who is in jail. Now we're talking. Oh about. God! Yeah, here's I don't know. Like it's it's a hard one to call. I've said before on the show that like I favor him in a reelection contest. Uh, yeah, me like, too, honestly. But like you know it's it's shaky at best and like honestly what's the use of like predicting it now before we know anything yeah i'm just sticking with coin flip 50 50 chance but 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 the thing working in his favor in my mind the most is that he uniquely does not really deserve to win again on a personal level Mm -hmm. that sort of makes me think that he will yeah well because in some ways that's like a it, it is like if not for the consequences of his loss, that would sort of be like a just outcome for such a pompous man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the thing that kind of drives me a little nuts about it is, so there's like this thing, this is really like what got me like kind of, I claim the fame a little bit, uh, special elections off year races between the two parties have been uh, tremendously predictive. And I found this spreadsheet somebody made out there. I don't know who it was, but it tracked every single special election from 2018 to present. And you can look at the results and then you compare it to like a baseline you'd expect. You can see how good or worse the party is doing compared to that baseline. So in 2018, across all the special elections, the average overperformance for Democrats was about 10 points compared to average. And they won nationally by about 10 points. In uh, 2020, the national, like they overperformed by four points. They won nationally by four. In 2022, they, they uh, outperformed by one point. Republicans won nationally by one, so it's a little bit of a difference there. You've had about like 40 or 50 special elections in 2023 so far, and guess how much Democrats are outperforming compared like to the baseline now? What, what's, what is it? Double digits, 12 points, at the same time that Biden is tied with Trump. So the party itself is tremendously well-positioned. Their positions are popular. People are voting based on abortion. The one exception is when it comes to a guy they think is literally too old to govern. And, and he is he is too fucking old to govern. It is, I mean, yeah, like, straight up. And, like, and yeah. the thing is, is like, okay, Trump <laughs> Trump getting reelected after losing a president, at the sec- a second Trump term would be probably even funnier than Trump being elected. It would actually, no, hands down, it would be funnier than Trump being elected a first time. But mm-hmm. the, the thought of Biden winning re-election and spending another four years in the White House is also <laughs> hilarious to think and about. And one of these outcomes is going to happen. Yeah. God. <laughs> that is wild. God. Just think, we're, of, we're, think of Biden in the White House for another four years. <laughs> just, yeah. Just, like he, he, becomes really good at, he becomes really good at being president. <laughs> <laughs> that's the funniest outcome yeah he just needed a little time on the job he learned from it yeah and then he, yeah. Did, he, does the, he does the new deal part two in this yeah he has you know, like, they win like 12 seats in 2026 i just need a little elbow grease all those stupid things about like what obama's second term would be like yeah. come true yeah they uh they pass the public option biden biden declares christianity illegal yeah confiscates all guns yeah. The one kind of thing that like is a little interesting is that he's been like on the trans rights thing, like really weirdly early. Like there's a quote from him. Like, I think this was like the same time he said he said he was Joe Bidenopolis. He also said trans rights are the defining civil rights issue of our era. It's like, you know what? I guess like I guess you can sometimes hit a home run every once in a while. Like, so good for him on that. Yeah. Yeah. Incredibly strange man. Incredibly strange mm-hmm. career. 
true of either Victor in 2020. Yeah. I love the number of facts you can bring up about him. I like how he's older than uh, Jet Engines. I like how he's first elected to public office in the 1960s. He campaigned um, on ending the Vietnam War. <laughs> yeah, good for him. <laughs> he's anti-war. Yeah. He was on a battle with George McGovern and Richard Nixon. He won Nixon voters. He was an, he was an anti-busing senator. Yeah, he was. <laughs> he had four oh, colleagues God. who were born in the during the Gilded Age. <laughs> they were his friends. Jesus uh, Christ. He voted against the Iraq against the Gulf War and he was 20 years in the Senate at that point. God, that's <laughs> my voted, favorite. We voted against how, the Gulf War but for well, no, the, that's the, the second so the did John Kerry. Uh, yeah, a lot yeah, of those yeah. guys who all lined up in 2003 uh, uh, to vote for the Iraq shit did it in part because they all were prematurely anti-imperial in 1991 and were like, yeah, we we're, we're Democrats. We 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 just still don't like war, right? And then it was like, no, we won this one. So we actually love those. So you're fucked. Yeah. And they were like, okay, never mind. Wars never going, uh, never voted against the war for the rest of my life. Got it. <laughs> yeah. Hey, r- hey remember, how was- qui- remember how quick and easy the first Gulf War was? What is was like that, but even more quick and easy and even more. I wonder popular. what Biden said about the Allende coup, because he was in the Senate <laughs> when that happened. <laughs> but, but just though, like. I mean, like, you know, the 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 figurehead of the party, like, is a, you know, a, a, a mummy. He's he's a crypt mm-hmm. keeper. But like, who who do they got on deck? Oh, who they, they got, got on deck? People. They got a yeah. lot of people. Well, they I mean, do, I, know, yeah. I, know you're, I know you're gorgeous Gretchen, gorgeous Gretchen, mm-hmm. yeah. Gretchen Whitmer. I mean, yeah, yeah like she, she's she's the template for the for the, you know, like for what could be a, a good Democratic uh, presidential candidate and by yeah. good i mean someone who can win not someone who's yeah that's win. what i kind of said about her in my conclusion i like have done a bunch of uh like lists on stuff like over the past couple months because everybody loves that shit i'm buzzfeed too uh i'm fine with that uh but um she's the only person who i have ranked an s tier for either party for the stuff that i've ranked because she's just she's really kind of an all to play to a player she's not like a progressive her dad was like the ceo of blue cross blue shield like uh, she's like there were a lot of people who were left in the first primary who were well, worth voting for ahead of her, like uh, Abdul Saeed. He was a lot better. I would vote for somebody else in the primary, probably. But she she's a liberal who can win. She got rid of right to work. She passed a bunch of gay protection. She won her elections by double digits in a Trump 2016 state. It's just that's there. You can just run that. There's nothing wrong with doing that. She was born in the 1970s. I think a year before Biden was elected to the U.S. Senate. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you, you brought up your list, and I, I, I should ask a similar question of, like, who's on deck for the Republicans after Trump? And you have your sort of ranking of his his VP, possible VP candidates for Trump. Yeah, that's and another uh, X factor. That's the last yeah. X factor in there. I was surprised. I mean, what, the thing that interested me about, like, the, your higher all your higher tier picks are both New York Republicans. Mm-hmm, it's like yeah. Lee Zeldin and what's your name? Elise, Elise Stefanik. Elise yeah. Stefanik. Yeah, the I difference think that, is Zeldin's from the city and yeah. Stefanik's from upstate. New York, number one best city in the world. <laughs> well, you know, you know, you know, you know I rep that. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, like, I, I think it'd be a funny, like, accident of history that, like, like Donald Trump, who is the most New York guy ever, is now, like, Mr. Republican Party. So I think it'd be funny if he sort of, like, shifted, <laughs> shifted the influence of the party back to the tri-state area yeah. But like, why do you why do you rate why do you rate someone like Carrie Lake so low? Because I mean, like oh. to me, at least in my mind, I thought that would make perfect sense for him because they're probably it, fucking any right now anyway. Yeah, they are. Yes. And it's uh, it's very sad to see. 
of like we should not have that relationship between a governor and a president, both incumbents. So that's really bad. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, well, the thing with her is that it's partially a recognition that Trump himself is very politically weak. Uh, like he still only has 35% approval. So I have him ranked low on the Republican list too. So it's like kind of a like part of that thing. But it's just like there's, you can be, there are two types of right wing cranks. There's a type of guy who talks about stuff. And like people think, oh, he's saying what we're all thinking. And there's the other type that like is like you hear them and people say you're a loser. You're insane. We hate you. Go back to the insane asylum. The difference between those two is that the one that they think are smart are men and the one that they think are insane are women. So oh, it's the yeah. Trump Palin dichotomy there. Right. That's sexism, but for good. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that would be uh, Carrie Lake. That'd be Marjorie Taylor Greene, who are supposedly his top two picks right now. They're, they're too. They're picks, both so. too thirsty for it, and they're both going to fuck it up through that. Yeah. And they're too hot. They distract from the ticket. And you never <laughs> thought that that would be a problem for Trump because he's like the hottest president ever. Well, that is and the real like, thing is whoever he picks by definition is going to have to by him be considered not a threat to upstage him in any way. Yeah, yeah. somebody commented that. And I think that's a big thing. So he might go for someone fucking boring like he did last time. He should have been done. If he was funny, he would have picked Christie. That would have been awesome. Oh, oh yeah. Just, just just having him like the, like the sidekick to, to like talk show host who's just there to like get, get drunk uh, and be abused by the host. Yeah. Yeah. He would have won the popular vote. <laughs> he would have won minnesota and new hampshire that's why my pick why, that's why if i was gonna bet on it i would put my money on tim scott being the vp oh no he no he'd upstage him too much it's gonna be like <laughs> he'd hear him With talking about like charisma how he sees him getting seeing a bunch of articles about being a virgin and he rips him from the ticket like eagleton it's like you have too much star <laughs> you, never got pussy one time? you never one time got it yeah yeah. Um, and then I, I guess like the, the other the other v, possible VP contender for Trump uh, that you rate low, but would certainly be, a, the, as you say, the flashiest is, of course, uh, Tucker Carlson. Mm-hmm. And I thought Tucker would never play second fiddle to anyone. But after I a couple of weeks of this, of this Twitter fucking TV show, I'm thinking I think he would spring at the chance to be Trump's VP. Yeah, I think I'm going to that is an outdated list. I have not updated that for the salience that would add to the gay Obama crack. Uh, story. <laughs> OK, we got. I love I love I love Tucker so much for doing that. That wasn't even a Tucker exclusive. He's getting the second bite of the apple after Denise D'Souza. He was following Denise D'Souza. Can I point out that when like I by the way, I feel so proud, so fucking proud of Larry Sinclair. Like I have been following him for easily started from the bottom. Now he's here. Literally. (laughs) Uh, I've been following him since the beginning. I've always been rooting for him. But I remember in like 2009, Anthony Cumia, like one of the most like far right people who is even like not fully <laughs> mainstream media, but sort of. But still allowed to walk freely. <laughs> yeah, society. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. Anthony Cumia, like would make fun of this guy. He was like, oh, yeah, sure. You blew Obama and like smoked crack with him. Yeah, uh-huh. Like Anthony Cumia, who would uh, in the same show talk about going to a website called nwordmania.com. <laughs> he that was there was enough consensus reality to be like, OK, this is this is bullshit. But now, like Larry Sinclair will get booked with like John Bolton 
<laughs> like he Larry Sinclair will be at a think tank where most of it is about um just taking <laughs> natural gas money from Uzbekistan and normal Larry Republican Sinclair should be given a sinecure at the uh, Hoover Institute. He probably yeah. will be. <laughs> they should, <laughs> Professor Emeritus Larry Sinclair. The visual like like the visual power of that Tucker Carlson interview was so fucking cuz like look I've been hating on Tucker. I said his Twitter TV show is 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 dog shit. He's yesterday's news. I he had my curiosity with the Larry Sinclair. He now has my attention because this yeah. is one of the most powerful TV interviews I have ever seen. The visual contrast between Tucker's smirking Obama sucked me off face and Larry <laughs> Sinclair sitting there with like his dentures falling out and wearing those like wrist protect look like the, the rollerblading wrist guards that he's rocking. Larry, like, C- yeah, Larry Sinclair looks like whenever like Tom Hanks or like Sean Penn has to play a guy who's dying, like a guy who has stage four cancer. No offense to him. I love him. And like we've had our problems with Tucker. He started it. He really did. Yeah, he yeah, did. He's lying <laughs> on our name. Fucking piece of shit. Yeah, he said he said we're pro Zell Disney. We're yeah. anti any country that uses any of those alphabets. Fuck all of <laughs> yes. them. But like, no, this is your best show yet. We really liked it. Uh, Larry Sinclair has called us out. Yes, we we have been put on blast by Larry Sinclair. See, what Tucker's doing that's smart here is he's connecting himself positively, like with political associations, because like in the the list of things that are popular with Americans right now, uh, gay people and Obama are both like up there as some of the most popular things in the country. So Tucker just making him like a like a voice for like this kind of like combination. People will associate him with two things that they like. So Tucker will become more popular. He should come uh, out. Obama my, should come my out. My favorite part about gay. the uh, about the, would, the Tucker Larry huge. Sinclair interview is the way he's like he's talking about this. Like you know you think you think maybe the media would have been interested in this back in two thousand eight. Like talking about it's like this media conspiracy cover-up that they didn't cover this like newsworthy uh, game-changing story and he was like look i'm gonna let my listeners you know you, you decide whether you find this guy credible but just know that he did take a lie detector test and just saying that he took a lie detector test but not including the details that he failed said lie detector test yeah is pretty awesome but keep in mind lie detector test not admissible in court so once yeah. again make of that what you will I saw this awesome, like the best tweet ever, I think, by the Matt XIV guy who's some like young Zionist. And he quote tweeted the Tucker thing, like saying, okay, everything else here, it's really just wrong for Tucker to out someone like this without talking to them. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um, Okay, so, you know, when Tucker called us out, like, whatever, don't care. This one actually hurt when we were called (laughs) out by Larry Sinclair. I'd like to read it for everyone. Oh, no. Will Menneker, Matt Christman, Felix Biederman, Amber Frost, Chris Wade. Challenge! Produce a single interview ever given by me in the last 15 years where I have ever named one city other than Chicago slash Gurney, Illinois, other than referring to the Great Plains Naval Center. If you can't, and I know you can't because it never happened, you not only publicly admit you are liars, you refund the last five years of your subscriber feeds and immediately give two years free to every one of them to who the <laughs> listeners that we've defrauded uh, okay. to Larry we defrauded the listeners the by now. lying about cities in <laughs> illinois that he's mentioned yeah he larry you did say peoria in 2009 i know i was an opie and anthony <laughs> listener and opie you were covered by the media opie and anthony is was the media before Anthony Kumia did all those things. We're going to have to let a court figure this out. 
Okay. Here, here's, here's, here's what I'm interested in, like in the, the bigger picture with the Larry Sinclair interview. Matt, you made this point yesterday that you think that like the, the fact that both Tucker is following Dinesh, he's getting Dinesh's sloppy seconds, who is really yeah. getting like, Dinesh is right in the caboose of like talk radio guys from 2008. Yeah. You know, like it's, that, it's that, that's how, that's stale how, mead here. that's how stale this shit is. But the thing is like, you, you said that like that, that's proof of how, like that they all know that this Hunter Biden shit doesn't have any juice so that they're going to tell you lurid stories about Obama smoking crack and getting his dick sucked by, <laughs> by Larry it's Sinclair. A, it's wild. They're like, well, we've been talking about how Hunter Biden smokes crack and gets his dick sucked for the past four, three years. It has not moved the needle at all. What if we talk about a guy who is even less uh, uh, consequential in the current moment about how he does crack and gets his dick sucked? Maybe that'll do it. Well, you say he's less consequential in the present moment, but here, here's an idea I had. I, I think a lot of them think that Michelle Obama is going to be the one to like. Uh, I mean, uh, run for she president. could. There's no question yeah. about that. Like, if she wanted to just roll this whole thing up, she could and, like, do it. This is a preemptive strike on a Michelle Obama uh, presidential run. Like, she could just say, "I'm running," and it would be it, the whole yeah. Biden edifice would crumble. Yeah. 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 But the switch. thing is, like, if, if Michelle Obama announced saying I'm primarying Joe Biden, fuck, fuck everyone else. And then as part of the campaign announcement said that, by the way, yes, my husband is a gay man who dabbles in rough trade <laughs> and cocaine. <laughs> I don't think that that would negatively affect their campaign. No, no, one I iota. She would get yeah. Nixon in 1972. She yeah. stayed yeah. with him through that struggle. Like, yeah, like... No, wait. no, like, I, no, it wouldn't even affect Obama negatively. I think people would think, yeah, good on him. He deserves it. Gay, gay first gentleman Obama would be so awesome. Yeah. yeah. Like, he was living in the East Wing with all of his gay friends. People, yeah. like, ever, like, I would say... Okay, you guys, um, you know the Match Lap thing. We've talked about it. How yeah. like uh, Match Lap? He's my favorite guy. He he tried to honk off his work buddy, and he's <laughs> turned it into a cancel culture thing. And his wife is like, Satan is going after us, saying these lies about my husband trying to jack off his work friend. And I, judging by like the reaction to that. I kind of think this will be the last thing that Democrats need to do to win a super majority of, of white people, mm -hmm. because judging by the reaction to match lap, this seems this probably happens to like 80 percent of married white couples. Yeah. The <laughs> husband is like including Obama, including Obama. <laughs> he is. He is white. Yeah. He's half white. So he did this once. But like. He needs to do it more times. People are they're going to think he's yeah. insincere. Yeah. No, no, doing it, an apology it, tour for being gay. If, we need if, to have if, a fully committed gay president, and he won't yes. give us that. Yeah, if she's like, yeah, my husband like did a bunch of uppers and like you know blew this guy blew him. Every like you said, every married woman in North Dakota will be like, me too. Mm -hmm. That happened to me too. Andrew, That's her, I feel your pain moment. Andrew Gillum, such a fuck up. He did that after the campaign. Oh yeah, my he god, it. he could have won it. He could have won it all. He could have been president right now. Yeah. No. Barack and Michelle, like they, they come out and just announce, just finally say, we're both trans. We had our personal chef killed because he figured <laughs> it out. But hey, who do you want as president? It's Michelle Obama. She's walking into the or he's walking into the White House. I don't know. I don't want to step on anyone's toes here. But mm -hmm. yeah, no, even yeah, if she ran on every single if she ran on the Whitey tape. <laughs> yes. Yeah, they love yes. that too because Biden actually increased Hillary's numbers uh, with white men after BLM. They did the work. They listened. It was the only demographic he did better than Hillary. <laughs> it was white men. 
<laughs> what uh, really did go to die? Racial depolarization. <laughs> We're going to have blue Indiana and red New York. It's happening. <laughs> uh, well, uh, I think I think that does it for me for this episode. Uh, Matt mm-hmm. and Felix, do you have any other uh, queries for Germantum? When's Dick Durbin going to die? Never. God damn it. Yeah. That sucks. sucks. It pissed me off when he, he doesn't even overperform anymore. Him and Schumer, it's so disappointing. They used to just win like 70% of the vote for no reason. And now they're winning by like 10 points. Like what's, what's, what's even the reason? As Eric Adams also disappointed me too, where he ran as a conservative and he still lost all the Orthodox Jews. Like why even do that? Why, why even waste our time? Like Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. It really is, you know, Michael Jordan's last season. It is, yeah, yeah. It, no, but the Dick Durbin's still like really like putting in numbers, like it's like he's never done before. Like every time he says like um like that uh, we are gravely concerned about the Supreme Court and they need to conduct an independent investigation. That's his flu game. So. <laughs> someone someone compared Dick Durbin to that uh, Montenegrin Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. Never, do, <laughs> never do a day of work. Man is yeah. born resting. <laughs> if, if you see, if you see a man working, help him stop. Yeah, yeah. That's he didn't even try to get Feinstein home. He just does not give a fuck. <laughs> yeah. Dick Durbin left Ian Feinstein in a hot car. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's cool. I like how he was. He was like the whip, but they didn't make a majority leader. You have to like kill yourself if you're the whip, and that happens. It happened to Kevin McCarthy too. <laughs> it's so fake. All right, well, gentlemen, uh, let's leave it there for today's episode. Uh, Josh, if people would like uh, more of your writing featured on today's episode, uh, where should they go? Uh, at a Germentum newsletter. It's like a hot uh, Substack right now. We've been doing pretty well. We're in the top 50. We just beat Neil Caden. That's what you get for being a child slaver, son of a bitch. Uh, <laughs> we're at 49. You're, we're, I'm at 48. You're at 49. Uh, so we're winning. We're going to beat Chris Rufo eventually. He's at 25. But, uh, okay, well, that's a yeah. It's gonna happen. Uh, that, that's a that's a that's a. I'm, I'm subscribing right now for towards mm-hmm. that worthy goal. Yeah, yeah. Like we, you know, we set out a few years ago to be, beat true crime obsessed. We did, we it, did it. We did it. Yeah, that was awesome. That was hell. That was hell on earth. That was Hessa. Like it's really all the things came together. That's right. Yeah, Spanish Civil War thing. I saw you guys mentioned that. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah. Just recorded the first app. Yeah, shout out. Coming up, hopefully next month. Yeah, well, we got cool. some. Uh, some new cool things coming down the pipe. So uh, we'll leave you with that. Uh, Josh, thanks for hanging out with us. And yeah, no the rest problem. of you, bye-bye. Bye. Sugar.